Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Hey everyone, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them and open them to Deuteronomy chapter 17. But in this gospel series, we're begin, we're continuing, uh, we're doing a few things together. We've been watching uh, summary videos from the Bible Project, one for each day, and it helps us capture the biblical themes. I wanted you to be able to capture those themes and see them played out all through uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, through the gospel accounts in the New Testament. And this helps us see the whole story in a short relatively short amount of time. We see the story of God with Israel because you can't understand the the gospel, the good news, unless you have some understanding of the story of God with Israel. And that this culminates in the story of Jesus. And then we begin to see how all of this begins to play out. We looked a few weeks ago to say that the, the, the gospel is not about making deciders for Jesus. It's about making disciples of Jesus. And for that to take place, we must know the full story because the Spirit still uses this full story to bring people to, a, to salvation. So let's read our passage today and then we'll get started preaching for today. This preaching that I've been doing is really theme preaching. And theme preaching is different and a little bit difficult, honestly, because there's so much territory for us to cover each and every week. I hope you'll lean in. I think there's a great, great message today. But let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, and we'll begin at verse 14 and go through verse 20. Here, this is Moses preaching to the Children of Israel, they're now have been set free and they're about to enter the promised land. And Moses says to them, When you enter the land that Yahweh, the Lord, your God, is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settle in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from all of that the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. 
He, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. Now, today we need to talk about kingship. And today in this day and age, and particularly in the United States of America, it can be an obstacle to really talk about what it means to have a king. The king, that word just seems outdated for us today. I mean, we've lasted as a nation for 240 plus years or so without one. And and we actually began our country by seeking independence from a king and from his kingdom that we thought was oppressing us with taxation without representation. Today, we use this term negatively. I mean, you've probably seen in your Facebook feeds uh, or know somebody who's uttered these words that maybe they think our current governor is acting like a queen or that the president thinks he's a king. Uh, What they mean by that is that they're making the rules for themselves and usually that it's a power grab that benefits them or their party or their friends or their cronies or their big business or whatever it is. We use this term negatively. So when we start to talk about Jesus as king or King Jesus, it can be a difficult concept. It can be a barrier for some right off the bat. But we need today to push through some of that so that we can understand the good news about King Jesus. Now, last week we began with God, Yahweh, creating His cosmic temple. And with human beings as God's image, we were to be caretakers of God's temple and learn how to live wisely from God in person. We saw how humanity, the image of God, decided they wanted to do a power grab and determine right and wrong for themselves. And what they did was to bring sin and death into the world through this power grab. We saw how God, though, did not want to give up. Our God never gives up. God wanted to restore His images, so He chose a family. He chose Abraham and Sarah. And through the covenant with Abraham's family that became the group of people called Israel, God, Yahweh, becomes their king. Not that Yahweh isn't king over all, but there's a special bond with Israel. God called them a kingdom of priests to represent God to the world and the world back to God. We find this in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. But this, of course, doesn't last. It follows the pattern that we see over and over throughout Scripture. In fact, Moses seems to know that this won't last. And so he sets up this law of kings before the people can even enter the land and ask for one. That's our passage today. Now, for God, a king was to do a few things and be a few things. The first thing in chapter 15 that we see is that he was to be chosen by God. This was not something that you just nominated yourself to be king. I think I'll be king today. It was someone who was to be chosen by God. 
Verse 15 also tells us that it was to be someone from among the people. They had to have a heart and understand what it meant to be an Israelite. What it meant to live in covenant. God was calling someone from among the people. For God, a king was also not to be a hoarder. I know that sounds strange, but verse 16 and 17 shows us specifically the ways that a king was not to hoard. First of all, the king was not to hoard war machinery. That's I know it just talks about horses, but horses were used for war, to carry chariots and, and to, to ride uh, cavalry. and to, It was a major innovation in war of his day. And the king, according to God, was not to hoard war machinery. The king was also not to hoard women. We were told that it might be that that would lead his heart astray. And a king was also not to hoard wealth like gold and silver. For God, a king was to to do a few things like write and read for themselves. This is verse 18. This is a strange one, but what it really means essentially is that the king is to be a learner. A king is to have brains, not just brawn and military strategy. It's not just to be powerful, but it is to learn. And to learn something, especially to learn to write on a scroll, means that you have to be a person of patience and diligence, willing to follow through. And what is it that the king is to write down? And what is it that the king is to read every day of his life? It is to read this list that we have just gone through. To remind himself every day, I have been chosen by God for this. This wasn't something I earned by my talents. I, I'm, I represent a people to God. I'm not to hoard after war. I'm not to hoard up women and people. I'm, I'm to, to be patient and to learn. I'm to do this every day. The king is also to follow the same laws as everyone else, which is God's laws. We find this in verse 19. And This king is not to consider himself better than others. Let's pause for just a moment. Do you know of any leader in your lifetime or mine that has lived up to this? My hunch is you're shaking your head no right now. There may be some that have come close or who have followed parts of this, but not all of them. You see, for God, in other words, a king is to represent how God operates in the world. God is patient, so a king must be patient. God is wise, so a king should work to be wise and strive after wisdom. God uses power and authority to help, to redeem, and to serve others. A king should do the same. And to the extent that a king does that, the Scripture tells us that they will be considered successful and God will bless them if they do these things. Now the kings of Israel are a mixed bag, as we know. As you've been watching those videos and you've gone through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and Chronicles, you know that this is they were uh, up and down, hot and cold, highs and lows. I mean, David was the best. He was called a man after God's own heart because he would repent and he honestly strove with everything to live up to this law of the king. 
In fact, God says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, that David was promised that his kingdom would be blessed and that his throne would be established for all times. He was the best though. But even David still hoarded things. David broke God's law and broke God's heart. Saul, the David's predecessor, uh, he was arrogant. Solomon, the one who followed after David, he was a learner. He was maybe the, the wisest of all those kings, but he was a hoarder. He had 700 wives and concubines after that. Uh, there were then many, many, many other kings who didn't follow the law, who went after other gods, who didn't realize they were called to serve the people with what God had called them to, and they served themselves. It got so bad that the people and their king end up captive in Babylon. They are conquered and led away to a kingdom far, far away. Is it all over? Did God break His promise to David? Was it so bad that there was now no hope of a good king? Remember, my friends, our God never gives up. The prophets, even in exile, began to declare that one day God would once more be king in Jerusalem. Isaiah tells us this in chapters 40 and 41. And then he says that there will be a servant of Yahweh who will usher in this kingdom. And shockingly, it will come through this servant's suffering. This is in chapter 53 of Isaiah. And this representative, this servant, this, dare I say, king, will will suffer on behalf of Israel's sin and will usher in a new age in the world and where the entire world will be changed. But centuries pass. And the servant, the representative, the king, as they should have been, never comes. Will it ever happen? The story of Israel and God in the Bible closes without this one coming to Israel or into the world. The prophets point to Him, but it never happens. There are many hopefuls after the Hebrew Scriptures close, but they all operate like the kings of old, and they never represent the rule of God to the world. But suddenly, Mark comes on the scene. Mark, for many scholars, believe that Mark was the first gospel story that was written. And Mark rushes Jesus onto the scene. And we begin to see something in Jesus that looks like our passage in Deuteronomy. Mark 1.9, at Jesus' baptism, He comes from among the people like the king should. He is chosen by God in verse 11 like a king should where, where God says to him, This is my Son, the One that I love. With Him I am well pleased. And the rest of Mark shows that Jesus is not a hoarder of anything. He always has compassion and gives food away to thousands in chapter 6 and again in chapter 8. He teaches His disciples in chapter 6 to minister with what they have. Don't be hoarding and asking for things from other people. He doesn't hoard women. He heals women who are sick and broken. He sets them free. He includes them in His ministry and as His followers. 
He's not only a patient learner, but He's a teacher who teaches the teachers. He embodies and teaches the heart of God's law. He doesn't consider others better than Himself. He eats with sinners and outcasts. He embraces the broken and heals them. He calls His disciples to give their lives for the sake of others. Could this Jesus be the long-awaited King? Mark says yes. But not only just for Israel, this kind of king that Jesus is would be for the world. This kind of king will challenge all other kingdoms. This kind of king and kingdom will show God, the great king. In fact, for Dr. N.T. Wright, he, he says in, in a, a podcast I was listening to recently, he says, the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaims is not about getting you to escape to heaven someday. This kingdom of God is also not about politically rearranging the furniture here on earth. The kingdom of God is about Yahweh becoming king on earth as it is in heaven, but doing it according to Jesus' agenda. In other words, you want to know what God's kingdom is like? What God's heart is like? What God's mission is all about? Read the story of Jesus. This is what God has always been about. This is what God continues to be about all the way down to today. And Mark shows this in a brilliant work of literature. He, he, in the end, in the passion, as he's talking about the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, he turns a Roman victory parade on its head and has Jesus go through these stages, but showing the irony all the way through. It is an absolutely brilliant thing that culminates for Mark with Jesus' throne being the cross. And a Roman centurion using Caesar's title, Son of God, for Jesus. I can't go into any more detail than that for you, but if you want more information about that, I preached a sermon on this on October 22nd, 2017. It's still on the website. You can go check it out. I want us to rush through to say, why does Mark do this? Because Mark wants us to see. Mark wants anyone who reads his gospel account to see that Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, His ministry, His suffering and death shows exactly who God is. What God's heart is like. What God's view of people is all about. How redemptive God is. And to what extent God is willing to suffer to redeem people like you and like me. This is what our Gospel reading tells us today. The one that, that Pastor Kyle read for us, where he says, He and the Father are one. Or later on in John, when he says, No one comes to the Father but by me. What Jesus means is, you can only see what God is like by looking at me. Period. Or maybe I should say exclamation point. This is what it is all about. 
Now at the exact same time that Mark is saying all that I've just said to you, he is at the same time wants us to see that Jesus' life, Jesus' teaching, His ministry, His suffering, His death, also exposes the flaws, the weaknesses, the brokenness, the corruption and the sin of every other power system that human beings have created through their power grabs. And that goes right on through to today. Every other system that has ever been created by human beings eventually gets down to a me-first mentality. I'm sorry to say this, but even churches can get this way. But the me-first that Jesus shows is that He is willing to be the first to die to redeem people like a true king should. He is the first willing to take on our true enemy, which is sin, that we might be set free. Because that is what God's true king representative does. Jesus is me first, says I will be the first to empty myself of power to serve others like God's true king should. I will be the first to establish a kingdom based on redeeming love that anyone can accept and become a citizen of. And this same kingdom will have that same trajectory, will have those same values, will have those same ethics, will have those same behaviors as its king. And anyone who calls Jesus Lord or King is called to take up their cross and follow Him. Not just believe in Him, but follow Him in His upside-down me-first movement, which is actually an others-first movement. All of this has me wondering, has had me wondering all week, what would the world be like if we who claimed that Jesus was our King actually lived out His other's first agenda as our own agenda? What if we truly believed and wholeheartedly lived as if Jesus' other's first lifestyle is actually the way, the truth, and the life? And that we will never get to the Father. We will never understand who God is by living any other way. By living by our agendas, which always wind up being a me-first agenda. This will require that we spend more time in the presence of our King than we do in the presence of experts or conspiracy theorists. It will require that we spend more time with our King's teachings, which are found in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, than when we, than watching or listening or scrolling through news outlets or social media outlets. I wonder what the world would be like if we, the ones who call Jesus King, actually gave our full allegiance to Him. Actually lived as if sin was forgiven. That we are set free to put others first. That death is defeated and there's nothing left to fear. What if we actually opened our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit that will give us the power to live Jesus' other's first agenda in this life, here and now, in this pandemic, in 2020? 
What if we actually lived into what Peter's writing told us today that Deidre read for us? That we are called to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, one who show the agenda of our King and represent the world through our prayer, through our going out and forgiving, through our going out and serving. We represent the world back to God. This is hard. That's probably why Mark's Gospel account ends in the weirdest way. If you go to chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, uh, the women are told the good news that their King, Jesus, is resurrected, and they go away afraid and tell no one. It's the most bizarre ending. In fact, in most of your translations, it'll say there's actually a second account, and most scholars believe they put it there because it just felt so weird to leave Mark's ending at... They went away afraid and told no one. But I believe that Mark wanted to close in just that way. In a way that let you know, that let me know, that let anyone who reads his gospel know that you have a choice to make. Is it going to be your agenda, me first? Or King Jesus' agenda, him first for the sake of others? And that is scary. Will he be king Or will you be king? Will he sit on the throne of your heart? Or is there only room for you? Will you surrender your life and agenda to the God who looks like and is Jesus? Or just keep power grabbing for yourself saying, I'm going to determine this for me. You know... Or I hope you know, and if you don't, I'm about to tell you that we believe that King Jesus' agenda is the one that will eventually win the day. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 tells us that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And that is Jesus. So today, my friends, I ask you, will you join King Jesus, will you right now say yes to His agenda? It it will take repentance. You're going to have to turn from your agenda to His agenda. You're going to have to turn from me first to others first. And that's going to mean that it's going to take a complete mind change and heart change that only He can bring to you. Will you say yes to Him? I want you to know that He is saying yes to you. And then if you long to enter into His kingdom of redeeming love, you can be a citizen of His kingdom. You have only to accept it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and can we pray right now? King Jesus, we come to you and we acknowledge that you are the way, the truth, and the life. If we want to know what God looks like, we must turn to You. We must study Your teachings. We must take on Your other's first agenda. Take up our cross and follow You. 
Jesus, we acknowledge to You right now and we confess that oftentimes, sometimes even in the church, we can be more focused on what we want than what You want for the sake of others. So we ask for Your forgiveness. Teach us Your other's first agenda. Show us that it is the way. Show us that You will lead us into the truth. Show us that You will give us life as we live this agenda out for the sake of others. Father, heal our broken hearts that constantly want to grab for ourselves so that when we are healed, we can open our hands and give to others. Become our King. And may we serve You with all that we are as You lead us into the world to call others into Your loving kingdom. We pray all of this in Your name, King Jesus. And for Your glory and Your kingdom's sake. And all of King Jesus' followers said, Amen. Amen. Well, you'll have another round of videos to watch this week. I hope you're enjoying them. I hope that they're stirring up some things in you that will get you reading the Bible and into the Word so you'll hear the more depth of the stories. This is an exciting time for our church. I pray you've said yes to King Jesus today. If you have, if you've taken the next step, I want you to go into the comments section right now and there'll be a link for a, that you can click on that will give you something to share with us what next decision, what next step you have made in your following of Jesus today. I pray that you will do that right now so that we can pray with you, encourage you, bless you, and get you any information that you would need. But right now, would you receive this blessing from wherever you are? And now, may you know the joy, the life, the truth that is the way that Jesus calls us. May you Experience the joy of surrendering a me-first agenda and receiving from Him an others-first agenda. May you receive the power of His Holy Spirit that will enable you to live an others-first agenda. And may you, even in this crazy time in our world, Go and bless others. Go and invite others. Go and declare that the kingdom of God, who looks like Jesus, has come for them. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. God bless you. Go in peace. Wash your hands. Have a great week, and we'll see you here next week. Stay safe. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.